Like all this work goes into setting up the shot. And then it's just like, okay, now pretend like your child was murdered. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Barrett Scher from CinemaSins. Hello. And Jonathan Watkins from CinemaSins. Hello, hello. And today we have a very special guest with us today. I think I said today twice. Um, <laughs> we have You're actor, excited. That's right. We have actor Sheila Vond here with us today. Yay. I got that right, right? I didn't. I, you, it's not like Vand, is it? It is actually Vand, but it's oh okay. crap! Okay, it's Sheila Vand. All right, Vand I, uh, is a lot more exciting. It's like uh, when I uh, when I dress up, I, I call myself Sheila Vand. <laughs> <laughs> that seems right. That seems right. Um, it's it's great to be talking to you because about five or six weeks ago, uh, and we talked about this a little bit before we started and everything. Uh, that was my first experience with a girl walks home alone at night and, um, and really enjoyed that movie, uh, a great deal. Uh, how fun was that for you playing that character? That was so much fun. It was still one of the best experiences of my career because, um, I got to really develop that character with Anna Lily Amirpour. We had worked together a couple of times on shorts before that. So, we knew each other going into it, which, uh, you know, doesn't always happen to already have a bit of a rapport. And um, I knew, you know, I was just sort of like, I was there every step of the way of her creating the script. Like there was not even a script written when she first offered it to me. Um, But I knew that she was going to create a really unique kind of world because she had told me straight, you know, from the get go that it was going to be black and white. It was going to be this mashup of, of a Western and a vampire movie. And, and the fact that it takes place in a fictional place in Iran, like I had just never seen anything like that. So I, I thought we were making something special, but you never really know, you know, and, and it was an amazing experience that it, it did end up not only gelling and coming together the way we hoped, but that it spoke to so many people. Um, Cause you know, when you're making a black and white Iranian vampire skateboarding movie on Farsi, <laughs> how many people are going to relate to it? Um, so it, it's, it's a, such a fun, kind of amazing phenomenon that, people from all over the world, you know, you don't have to speak Farsi or be from, from the Middle East to appreciate the film. Um, and yeah, just playing a vampire too is, was, was really fun. It was fun to play some, a character that's not fully human. Cause you get that extra Liberty to, to, to play around with it. And I got to make her a little more kind of cat like and just do things yeah. that are outside of naturalism is always fun. Yeah. What I like about it so much is that you try so hard as a viewer to read into what your expressions are in that movie like what does that mean does she have any is she having any like real deep thoughts here and everything and you can just you can just draw a bunch from it uh when you're watching thanks for saying that i mean i i remember when we did it i was nervous about how kind of silent she is and you always want to make sure when you're playing a very quiet character that you're still telling the story and that that the you know that feels like a well-rounded fleshed out character even if you don't have too many lines and um there was a lot of kind of like non-verbal acting i i was doing but i wasn't sure if it was going to come across and and i was i was worried i remember back then of like is this too subtle is it too kind of deadpan and then to see no you know these things are coming through and people are getting a kind of i mean she's definitely very and a very enigmatic character but i think you do get to see her use her voice non-verbally in, in some cool ways. And I learned a lot from that experience of like how subtle one can be on camera. Yeah, you can you can hold the character that you're staring at and you can hold the viewer just by your looks. And like Chris was saying, you, you don't know if you're planning on attacking or whether you're <laughs> feeling compassion or whether you're trying to determine what you're going to do. Uh, it's amazing the command that you had, uh, of the screen as that character in particular, uh, 
just with that gaze and uh, it can it can do very subtle things and I, I was blown away by it thank you so much yeah overall a very beautiful movie it's dreamlike it gets you wrapped up in its cinematography and and it's uh it's lighting and everything and just the 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 look of the town uh a fictional town called bad city uh <laughs> you know the uh you you it's there's it's there's nobody except the characters in this movie um, you know, the, just the, the, the streets are just barren and, uh, and, uh, there's just this, this feeling that scene where you're standing there and that, that, uh, is it, is it white lies it's playing? Um, oh, yeah, the, the disco ball scene. <laughs> yes. That scene is, that scene just draws you right in. You're just, uh, you're just invested, uh, at that point. And, uh, and, uh, it's, a it's, a it had to have been, uh, I don't know if, if a scene like that is difficult to make because it's just, it's basically two shots, but, yeah. uh, is it difficult to make a shot, a, a scene like that? I mean, it is um, certainly like just sitting in silence for that long, just being in a scene where it's like there's no words. And even, you know, uh, Anna Lily Amirpour, who the director, she really guided us to go as slowly as possible. And uh, it's it can be a little unnerving to be in the moment and just be like, no, no one's saying anything. No one, It's really just about energy almost and um and like you said it seems so simple from the outside of just like as far as the way it's shot but actually in some ways it's all the more difficult because you can't you can't rely on like any crutches you know everything is stripped away and all there are are these two people but and what else I would say about it you know I want to say it's a I want to give her credit for taking that risk because you don't often see filmmakers just like let a moment sit and it was not, it was exhilarating as an actor, even though it was scary too. Of like, okay, I have to really fill this just with my spirit and my connection to Arash, the boy. Um, but to be given that kind of liberty, that space to just be like, no, just we're not going to say anything. We're going to just let make the audience sit here with us is <laughs> is a bold move. And I'm I appreciate her for for taking those kinds of bold moves and and making those taking those risks. I am too, because those, those scenes, a lot of times just don't trust the viewer. And, and, uh, I feel like that there was a, an innate trust by that point that the viewer is going to be involved in that scene. And I'm so and glad that so it many shot people that. like bring that scene up. So it proves that audiences are smarter than, you know, we give them credit for sometimes. And they do have the patience, like if a moment is earned to sit with it. And I, I resent sometimes our kind of short attention span culture that caters to like just constant flashiness and spectacle because like it's, I just think it's a proof how many people connected to this quiet, almost black and white silent movie that audiences do want substance, you know, they don't just want pure kind of (laughs) gore or, or, or just, (laughs) Rills. I mean, I love right. gore, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> gore has its place. Yeah. Um, yes, it does. Um, uh, I, 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 I could talk about this movie uh, a lot, but uh, you are in a new horror movie coming yeah. up called The Rental, uh, which is Dave Franco's feature debut. Um, you star with uh, Dan Stevens and uh, Jeremy Allen White from Shameless and Allison Brie. Um, and, uh, sort of give the background on when you got this screenplay and how you got involved with this movie. Yeah, I got, um, Dave reached out through a few mutual friends and I had met Joe Swanberg also just a couple times who co-wrote it with Dave. Um, and I, so I, I don't know initially like how I came up, but, but Dave had become kind of determined to 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 have me in this role, which which felt very very good. <laughs> I yeah, had nice. <laughs> to finally have enough work out there where people can just see your work, and and you don't have to necessarily audition or or sell yourself as it sometimes feels you have to do in this industry. Um, so he he came after me, and he he really kind of did his due diligence and spoke with a bunch of mutual friends, and 
and uh, I, I got it. I got a bunch of I, I got a bunch of kind of like messages from people being like, Dave Franco wants you in his movie. And I, and I was like, OK, what what is it? What is it? And he sent it to me. And I was I was very excited right away because um, not only was I interested in this script that blended naturalism with horror in a really interesting subversive kind of way but he was also really clear from that very first email and from the very first time we met in person what kind of movie he wanted it to be and and he he referenced a few other films and he he mentioned some he he had some uh, similar tastes as I do in in film and in horror and um I could just see that he had thought through his vision he had a he had a specific vision it wasn't just like because you know a lot of first-time filmmakers do horror. I'm not sure why, but it is a popular <laughs> entry point. Yeah. And um, it was cool to see that Dave was going to put his own spin on it. Like he wanted it to be very visually stylized, very moody. And then he wanted to have like really strong actors in it so that the audience gets invested in these relationships uh, before any horror takes place to make the horror like that much more scary and amplified. So yeah, we met and I, I could just see that he was very well prepared and had a strong vision. And I thought, God, these actors are so great. The crew he's putting together, all good people, the people who I, I knew a couple of people who, who were on the crew from before. And um, yeah, it, it, I could see that he was really doing his due diligence to put together a, an amazing group of people. And um, I, I appreciate that, that, that attention to detail that he he put in. I think it's why it turned out to be such a success. And and you've got a quite a strong character uh, in here too. You don't take any bullshit, um, and <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you see mm-hmm. that you know pretty much right away. Um, it's it's refreshing to see a character, especially a female character in a horror movie that that is saying, "Hang on one second, no, 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 no," like not falling into the tropes or anything like that, uh, and also can be a little bit impulsive and maybe make a few mistakes and yeah. stuff like that. Very human, but very strong character. I love that. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot about Mina, my character as well. And the story as a whole is that like, no one is really that perfect in this story. Um, I feel like it begins really with some very human mistakes that are made. Hmm. And then this turns into a web of drama <laughs> that that these that these characters create themselves before any horror even comes in it's very interpersonal it's mm. it's more about the dramas between these relationships and um as you said i i i love that my character has a strong enough opinion that she makes some bold choices but her choices are not always the right choices <laughs> and you get to see the array of it you know you get to see her make a bold choice that you that you root for and then make a big an impulsive choice that you question and and those are the kinds of characters I just like to play you know that are complicated enough to make mistakes that are that exist in some type of moral gray um Mm. because for me that's what makes us human like I uh if I'm only playing characters who are good people then I don't really feel like I'm necessarily challenging the human condition and I just it's tricky though. It's hard to play because um, you don't want to glorify these bad decisions. You don't want to glorify a character that maybe isn't super moral. But um, but at the end of the day, to be human, I think is 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 so much more than just good and evil. And she's she's more complicated than that. She um, hmm. so yeah, I, I I appreciate that they did that. And I think again, that was part of this strategy Dave had of like creating something that begins as a real kind of realistic relationship drama and then twists into horror by the end. Well, I, I love the, um, I love the way the scenes were written between and the way you two played them, the, the early confrontation between you and the character played by Toby Huss, um, which was really interesting because he seems like just, he would be the nicest guy in the, in the world. I mean, he's the, you know, he's the goofy dad from Halloween that, you know, got peanut butter on his penis. Um, so it's, it's, it's really hard to just, I don't know. It was just, it was interesting seeing him like, you know, a year later, two years later in a movie where he was, you know, uh, being rather confrontational and, and, uh, and, and horribly racist. <laughs> yeah. I think Toby Huss is such a genius. Like he is such a good actor and he, it's a difficult part to play because it's so easy to just villainize that person mm-hmm. so quickly. 
And I feel like he rides that line really well in the movie where it's hard to determine if he, if the things he's saying, you know, are racially motivated necessarily. They definitely get to the point where they're more explicit than they are at first. Um, but I, that's another thing I think Dave does a good job of writing that line, that kind of paranoia of not only that moment where there's like potential racism, where there's, di uh, where there's discrimination. I mean, I don't think it's that potential. I think it's pretty racist, um, but, 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 you know, micro on the, on the, uh, you know, relevant to the scale of things. Um, but yeah, it's just really easy to sort of villainize that person. And uh, I think Toby did a good job of writing that line and Dave as well, because that makes it a little more, scary as the audience if you're not sure you know if someone's intentions are good or bad if you if you just are like oh this person's a monster it, you can easily dismiss their character but uh and and then and toby's character also becomes you know kind of a victim of this web in a way mm -hmm. without giving too much away hopefully um but everybody gets kind of trapped in their in their mistakes that they well, i was gonna make. yeah i was gonna say because there's that one moment this is i don't think this i'm not gonna spoil anything but there's the thing about where he's he uh he's telling you uh or he's talking to you about the dog and that's i love scenes like that because like you said it's you you, you don't really know because you just still don't know who's you know if he's a bad guy or if he's not and he might actually be concerned he might not be concerned um, and you, you two just played that off really well. It was fascinating. Thanks. Yeah. I love that, that type of scene too. They're just secrets underneath something boiling under the surface and mm -hmm. that dramatic tension, I guess, of the audience knowing certain things that the characters don't know. And, um, yeah, I feel like this movie, it starts with paranoia that just unravels yeah at first um I, 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 I like the little touch at the beginning of this movie because it's it's you and it's dan stevens who plays charlie uh looking for this uh out of the way house so that you you know everybody can go out there for the weekend and everything uh the viewer is immediately going to be like oh well those that's a couple um mm -hmm. because because you are you are you got your arms folded over his shoulders looking over his shoulder as he as he gets the uh, the booking and then in comes Jeremy Allen White who plays Josh and uh and you're we're introduced to the fact that you are the ones that are dating not these two and there is this fuzzy line that you somehow are able to tow for a lot of this movie where the viewer is like, have these guys, have these guys done it before? Like, <laughs> I feel like they've done it, but you don't know. And, and I, and, and there, and I don't know what kind of magic trick that is to pull that <laughs> off in a movie. Um, but I really enjoyed the, the, the guessing game that I was playing. I'm so glad that that like came through for you. Cause it was definitely the intent was like just flipping the audience's expectations of like, who's with who and, and what are these relationships and how do they work? And you get a sense even in that moment that when Jeremy Allen White's character, Josh walks in, like he's kind of caught them being a little too intimate with each other. Right. And so, um, yeah, that's like, that, that's the more kind of naturalism in the beginning of the movie of like these two people who are, who work very closely together and, and the intimacy that comes out of being a professional collaborator with someone. It's hard maybe sometimes to, keep it professional when the lines, you know, are so easy to blur, like in their situation. Um, and I think the mistake, some of the mistakes they make when they go away that end up, you know, directly or indirectly leading to the horror is just this kind of avalanche of very um, smaller, more harmless mistakes. Like, it, like they, they decide to do drugs to celebrate when they're on mm -hmm. the schedule want to let loose and they want to celebrate this this deal that they've just secured this funding they've secured as business partners and you know that was just an innocent thing they did that that helps kind of fuel the other mistakes they make and um yeah it's like just like the spider web i feel and and there's there's some you know bigger mistakes than others there's some things that you're like okay you definitely screwed up there but um the, what leads to them what leads to those those kind of huge errors happening, I think are pretty relatable. 
Yeah. And actually, uh, you, you play somebody on MDMA very well, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying anything. I, but I did find it interesting that, that ecstasy comes up in both of those movies that we were talking about, uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and then this one. And it's it's hilarious to me um, that, uh, you know, three of the characters do it one time and one of the characters do it the other time. And the results are horrific and hilarious at the same time uh, on, on several different levels. I just absolutely love it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, that's on Allison, right? Because, I mean, for people that haven't done that in a while, not that I would have actual knowledge of it, of course, but for people that have done that in a while, I mean, you're, you're not doing that two nights in a row. I feel, I feel like that's on her. <laughs> yeah, we should have known that we wouldn't yeah. have the energy the next day. And then, and then expect you guys to take a hike. Oh, what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> that's not right. I'm with you on this. It, it, but it's these small little things that then put them all in different headspaces, you know, that just like drive yeah. the divide between what's psychologically going on for each of them. Uh, like already, you know, my character and Dan Stevens' character start to kind of have to deal with their own issues. But then one person at a time, everyone kind of joins in with their own kind of psychological hole they get in. Um, it's a it's a wild it turns into a wild ride by the end, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. And the the problem is, is we don't want to spoil this with, for anybody. And <laughs> I, there's so much more I would love to get into about the plotting of this movie. Um, but uh, the one thing I wanted to get back to, and and hopefully this isn't uh, terribly touchy, but um, we want to get back to the the racism part. Did you have anything you were drawing from when you were accusing Toby Huss's character in this movie? Um, uh, of being racist? Was there anything that you were able to draw from, unfortunately, for this? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I mean, I I wasn't thinking of any one specific thing, but I, so I'm I'm Iranian-American in, in real life as well as in the movie. And um, so I'm somewhere on the spectrum of ethnicity where like I, I grew up as a first-generation immigrant Americans. So certainly had feelings of being an outsider for speaking a different language, for looking a little bit different, for, you know, the the foods we were cooking, the the big family, the there were so many elements of being an immigrant that are so beautiful, but but growing up in the United States in the 80s and 90s wasn't always easy to do that. But at the same time, I'm like a light-skinned ethnic woman. And so I've also benefited from having lighter skin. So of course I haven't experienced the complete blatant and explicit types of racism that darker skinned uh, people of color experience, but I still have experienced a lot of micro racism and that stuff is really painful too. There's that, that part of the, you know, racism isn't just black and white. It's, it's a whole spectrum of ways we can be prejudiced or discriminated against and, and one thing that's tricky about like being somewhere in the middle of the spectrum is, is the fact that it's not always very obvious. So, you know, when somebody is obviously racist, when anytime somebody has said something to like a family member of mine or I've, or a friend of mine is a person of color that I've heard that's explicit, like it's, it's hugely painful, but at, there is an element of like, okay, that person is horrible for thinking that way and feeling that way. But when you don't know if it's coming from a racist place, when it's a little bit more, um, kind of subversive or a little more insidious, a little more like less obvious, a little more implied, um, it, it can really mess with your head in a whole different kind of way because you're not sure if you're the crazy person who's imagining it. You're not sure if it's, um, and so I, another reason why I'm so glad that this movie kind of gives a little bit of space for that, that gray area, that type of micro discrimination that is still really painful and exists. And it's like, you know, why should her request get, denied why you know why why should she have to deal with this what what did this guy mean when you said you know how did you get mixed up in this family what right mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so i i have experienced this kind of stuff and it, it's it's the it's painful it's it's hard but i don't see it in movies that much because it seems like often when we see racism portrayed it's it's something more extreme and, and it's overt right yeah well and and it's something that you know uh I, it, it, it's hard to say this because it's like, it's one of these things where I don't want to give away too much, but it's important 
to the plot. Like it's not just out of nowhere that this yeah. happens. Um, uh, but it's not important in the way that you think it is. Yeah. And again, you were talking about how Dave Franco is uh, sort of uh, playing on our expectations. That is, he's doing that with this as well. Uh, but, uh, but uh, sorry to hear that you have had to deal with that, but I did want to know if there was anything that kind of went into that, that uh, character for this when you were going through some of these scenes. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, you know, we, we filmed this a long time ago. So now it's like, it's so, um, these issues have always existed even before everything that this, this sort of collective reckoning that's happening now, but it, it definitely feels all the more potent now. And I was, I was actually talking to Dan Stevens the other day about how when we got to see the movie again recently at, at our kind of pseudo kind of premiere that we had <laughs> driving, um, we both felt like seeing that, that scene resonated in such a different way right now. And, and I'm glad that it's still relevant and I'm glad that it, um, that it's able to kind of join the conversation, even though we didn't know this was going to be a larger conversation uh, at the time. Yeah. I've, I've actually got taking a sensitive matter into a technical question. How much of that do you draw upon to put that into your character itself? Or how much distance do you have to have personally uh, from your character? Or do you really want to integrate those as much as possible? Yeah, I'm I'm not like a strictly method actor or you know, I don't subscribe to any one type of way of doing it. I find the whole thing a little mystical to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of like some of the work is technical and some of it's just psychic or something like uh and so but I do generally I I I do have to like I don't necess- I do have to bring my own emotions to it. I do have to relate like in a really personal way. Um, I'm not someone who is good at faking anything really. Like I can't even tell a, a white lie. I'm so bad at even <laughs> the tiniest bit of just plays across my whole face. Like you you would think that because I'm an actor I would be a great liar. It's not <laughs> the truth. Um, so but what I have found sort of throughout now having done this for pretty much over a decade now is that in the in the beginning when I was more method about things, when I felt like, you know, if I if I had to cry in a scream in a scene or scream in a scene, like I would really conjure up really traumatic past events in my life to get that mm. sad or that angry. And and then when that didn't work, I used to even like imagine terrible things because it's like I would use the same sad thing and then you, you use it enough times that it no longer makes you sad. And then mm. all things start mm. to have to and then I found that it was just a bit unhealthy for my soul to have to dig up pain in that way. Like, so so nowadays it's, um, I try to be a little more gentle on myself with it. Like that it's, it's like I said, it's, it's hard to describe because it's kind of a mystical alchemy of like how you get to an emotional place. Uh, But now I try to do something that's a little more of a, of a happy medium between like my, personal experiences in my life and like what's happening with this character right now what are the circumstances there and sometimes that's all you need to sometimes you don't you if if the situation is intense enough if um like again there's a scene in the movie but I don't want to give it away but Jeremy Allen White and I have have a have a relatively kind of emotional scene Mm. and for that I didn't have to do any sort of method type work because one, I mean, Jeremy is such a strong and present actor, but also it was so well written that I could just rely on the words and in the mo- being in the moment with Jeremy to get there. Um, wow. So yeah, so it d- depends on all those factors. Like if you feel a connection to your scene partner, if the if the words are strong enough, um, and and sometimes they are, and and that's all you need. And sometimes you have to kind of fill it out more with your own your own stuff. Wow, that's so cool. I've never heard it described this way. There's so many factors mm-hmm. that go into it. You see a show, I mean, it's a weird connection, but you see a show like Barry, uh, where they're trained to, you know, this is a trainable uh, uh, skill where you can bring up the the tears and all that stuff. But you don't think about the words that are written on the page. You don't think about the scene partner. You don't think about the situation. But all of that has to go into it to where sometimes I guess it's it's easy to, quote, get there. 
just given the circumstances. But you think about, you know, the the stories of of people having to do what you were doing earlier, like bring up traumatic experiences. And I, I can imagine it's damaging to your soul. Like That's not yeah, healthy at all. It's not something you, you usually have to do like uh, on a normal day on the job, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to go ahead and uh, hash out some of the most traumatic experiences of my life and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> clock in and clock out. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's so many factors and especially with like movies and TV shows, like it takes such a village to create them. All, all the people who are around you as you try to immerse yourself in a scene. Um, I just feel like I'm constantly learning how to get better at it and more sort of focused on sets and, what elements do I really need and what, what do I not need? And having more experience helps, you know, you can, but, but having training also is, is good for those moments where like you wake up and maybe you have to shoot a really sad scene and you don't feel sad that day. Like there's also (laughs) elements of acting, you know, where you, you, it's, it's a little bit of a gamble of the mood of that day. And those are the days where I'm happy. I have some tools and training to, to rely on if, if it doesn't seem like it's just, naturally coming that day you were talking about how dave franco had this uh vision for the movie pretty well mapped out and everything uh how is he uh with the acting process obviously as an actor himself he he knows what it's like uh and everything i've heard some actors say they prefer directors who are also actors uh, but, uh, what, was there anything uh, during this movie that you remember him, any kind of advice he gave you or anything, maybe even a conflict that you had, <laughs> that you had to resolve? Um, uh, what, what was that like? Yeah, it was, it was really great. I, I am one of those actors who really loves working with actors turned directors because of that, that extra sort of thought and a, attention to detail to the performance specifically that they, have and I felt like Dave is an incredibly intent listener and he's so focused on set like his his level of focus was very admirable to me because he didn't even like he he's such a friendly and warm guy but he was just stayed in the game the whole time um and I felt like anytime I had a question he would just race over and the way he would listen to me I just I really felt heard I felt like he he wanted to make sure that we weren't confused that we all felt good once action was called that, that, um, you know, everything was really clear. And, and another thing that I liked about him was, and I don't know if this is because he's an actor or that he just really prepared so well, but he was very, he didn't have very much hesitation with his answers when I had a question for him, like either because he had visualized it so much. Um, or I think because he's an actor too, like he knows what he's acted so much, he knows what works and what doesn't. And so I actually felt comforted in it, even if sometimes, you know, his answer was no, like whatever his answer was, whether it was aligned with mine or not, his confidence and his conviction of like, no, I don't think this moment needs that. I think actually it needs this, or don't worry that that thing is coming across. You can, you can maybe tone a choice down. Um, I liked that he had so much conviction about it because it just made me feel like, okay, he knows what he's, he knows what he wants. You know, where sometimes I work with directors who are like, I don't know, try it that way or try it this way. And mm-hmm. Dave is not like that. Dave is very sort of like, no, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I need. And it, there's some, you know, that, that doesn't work for every actor. You might want something a little more, I don't know, kind of improv or organic. But I appreciated knowing that he was going for something stylized that, that he knew what he wanted. He had already thought about that. And also just knowing that like, he knows how to act. He knows what that process is. I, I feel like I could just trust him a little more with like, was that a good take? Did I, did I, was it believable or not? Was, did it hit that sort of sweet spot that I think actors can feel and see sometimes maybe, I mean, some directors can feel that too, but like I said, it's like a mystical energetic thing. It's, it's, you can do like multiple takes that are all very similar to each other and maybe a a normal person might say they all look the same but I feel like (laughs) you can tell when one has that magic and it doesn't I feel like I could trust Dave to to know when he got what he needed because I'm like you're looking at it you're looking at the acting just as much as you're looking at the composition or the lighting or the you know the production design um 
I appreciated knowing that he was he was look he, he was looking at the acting and the performance um, just as much as any other element. Yeah, and I imagine for some first time directors, that's tough to get uh, all of that at once because they're worried about like you know is this lit correctly? Is this guy doing his job? Is this blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and then the acting gets up there and you're just kind of like, well, that was my lines <laughs> and, and you, and you move on or whatever. I'm sure for some people it's tough. That happens very often. Like all this work goes into setting up the shot and then it's just like, okay, now pretend like your child was murdered. Go. <laughs> and then you're like, okay. Yeah. That, that was good enough. And it's like, what? <laughs> you're talking about Affleck, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> that's what you're definitely like, talking about Affleck. Acting too, again, another <laughs> actor who's like they're they're going to look at performance a little. Not to say again, not to say that direct, directors who don't act don't do this too. Like it depends on the person, and also not to say every actor would make a great director. But I do think because because you understand the process as an actor, you you can communicate a little more clearly, perhaps, and also you're. Um, you're just, I think, wired to be looking at the acting on the monitor a little bit more closely. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, Dave Franco really deserves a lot of credit for the success of this film. Of course, the the, the cast itself, uh, we were talking about how unfair it was that Dan Stevens does such a good American accent uh, <laughs> where mm-hmm. the British are, are, are disturbingly good at that. Uh, but I was also wondering, like it, you said, you had some sort of connection with Joe Swanberg, who's one of my favorite writers and directors out there. And it seems like, you know, through through Dave Franco and everything, maybe you've been inducted into his like, I wouldn't say his troop, but there's there's a lot of people that work with him very often. Um, is that something that uh, that uh, you you're interested in later on? Because he's got a certain style that I think influences this movie um obviously through the script but also through probably his relationship with dave franco too yeah i i definitely i mean i would love to work with both guys again and um and uh, i i have i haven't worked with joe as a director but um but definitely my experience with dave was unbelievable and i i believe a lot in building community you know that's been Mm. kind of my lifeline throughout this difficult industry, which is just super competitive, super intense, you know, like there's, there's so much in our industry that is, um, you know, I'm sure for any, any one of us who's, who's moving through it, but I, I definitely feel particularly as an actor sometimes, like, um, there've been a lot of times where I've almost quit. There's been a lot of times where I, I haven't been sure, you know, like if I'm on the right path and, and whatnot, and what saved me is the relationships I've built with people. And, um, sometimes it feels like it's just exhausting doing the hu- the hustle constantly. They're like trying to get the next job, kind of paycheck, mm-hmm. paycheck, constantly feeling like you have to prove yourself, you know, even no matter how much work you've done, like that, that you could. And, and, and I will say, you know, especially as an Iranian American actress, like I do think I have to work twice as hard sometimes, if not more to, to just be considered as a leading role to be considered mm. as like just an American, like, you can just put, you can just cast me in that role that you maybe just didn't think an ethnic person might play, but but maybe they could because I'm I'm also American, you know I'm I'm and um, anyway, so I'm going a bit off on a tangent, but um, the hustle is it's it's really exhausting. So I feel like to get to a point where you're where you do have a community where you guys make more than one thing together, it's just it's really comforting to me and really nice to be able to take that kind of competitive element of auditioning out for a moment and just say almost like a theater company, like like make a bunch of stuff together and let's make it more about exploring stories and content instead of like the biggest celebrity that we can get for this. (laughs) This like so much of it feels like a rat race, you know, but when, when it, when you start to make real friendships and real relationships and work with people who want to support you like more than once, it's, I I really appreciate that because I feel like it's been, such a grind for most of my career and i'm like god can somebody just like (laughs) write me another movie you know because yeah 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 well exactly no that's why i was i was hoping that you would get kind of indoctrinated into this community because you do have you mentioned like clocking in for other jobs and everything you do have that sense of community with with quote normal jobs right you see the same people every day you you interact in the same ways 
certainly not the, I can only imagine what the grind is with acting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy to have this whole new group of people every time, like a hundred new strangers. And then, <laughs> Hi everybody. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, you get so close because making a movie together is an incredibly intimate experience. And then you just like never see each other. And then you're like, okay, bye. It's, I call it just perpetual summer camp or something like spring break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You go to summer camp, you make all these new friends. Yeah super exciting but then it ends and then they so i appreciate these kinds of pods like joe and dave and there's i i see it throughout the industry groups of people who kind who who extract themselves from the rat race and it becomes a lot less about like every man for himself and more about these pods of communities and companies of people that are like we're just going to keep supporting each other and not to say that you know, no one else can join the family, but that when you find people you click with and you like, um, you know, continuing to support them. And it also makes it so that the next movie you guys do, you're, you already have that first level of trust and, um, you know, camaraderie with each other. You can build off of that foundation. So uh, I, I think it's so cool that different groups of people have have done that, have continued to work with similar actors and similar directors. Um, and I, yeah, I hope that happens with these guys. I think it might. We all had yeah, nice. good times. I'm nice. glad that you went on that tangent because uh, the, the, you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of people, I think, to understand how difficult it is and how many different kinds of prejudices you're going to have to go through um to to just get a role in a movie or a TV show or something like that you know there's so many different hurdles to go through yeah. and uh i i'm i'm glad that you you shed some light on that because that's something we don't get to talk about that often yeah it's a it's it's a tough business but you know we i i do think most of us are pretty pretty crazy for a person <laughs> like you have to be a little bit of a <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in this industry but like we do it i think mostly because we love movies and shows and um and we don't see i'm i'm always so grateful for the way my career has taken shape but i never want to hide from people how hard it's been to get here especially because it's um there's this glamorous mythology and this limelight around it that draws people to this business and whenever people ask me, sort of like, what advice do you have? Or I really want to get into acting or this, like, I'm such a very adamant about people following their dreams. I think it's, you only get one lifetime. It's important to do it, but it's also important to know, you know, you, you're, you're going to have to put up a fight, like get your boxing gloves on if you're going to do this. And, hmm. and as far as some of that, the, the prejudice that, that exists in, in that I face, like, like I said, it's not always explicit. It's not like, Oh, we didn't cast you because you're not white enough or, we didn't, you know, want to see you for this because of X, Y, and Z, but it's like, but, but why not? But why didn't you want to see me? You know, why, why didn't I get considered? And sometimes those questions, the answers are really insightful. And, and I do think things are beginning to change now. And that's also really exciting. Like when I started in this business, like 10 years ago, it was in such a different place than, than it is now. And I honestly thought it was just going to always be that way. I just was like, yep, the world is an unfair place. And I'm so, I, I have to say like, just to bring hope into it, like I'm really exhilarated by the conversation. Like I know they're difficult conversations. I know they make a lot of people uncomfortable and, but I'm, I'm so glad that we're just starting to kind of see the, the, the reality of, of it and that, that things need to represent the world we see around us. Um, and it makes them better movies usually when, when we do that too. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Snowpiercer and your experience with that show because uh, you play a character who is sort of in and out through throughout the series and everything. And I kind of wondered what the experience like was shooting a show like that that's 10 episodes. Yeah, I really like 10 episodes, I will mm -hmm. say. Because <laughs> normally the standard, I believe, is usually 13 or 22. Mm -hmm. And I just don't believe in the 22 episode show. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's controversial to say, but I just, no, just, I'm with you. You know, it's impossible to create quality content for 22 episodes. I just think it's such a, it's, it's really hard. And at, at what point are we just exploiting a story, you know, for mm -hmm. but, but so anyways, I, I, I like the 10 episode thing. I think it's a good amount of time to get into a world, into a story 
Um, but it is in this show particularly what's it's tricky that it's there's so many characters in it and and it's a massive ensemble and so there are elements of that that are really kind of fun because it it's it's a humongous world like there are actors on this show I've never even met um and then there are so- certain parts of it that are challenging because even even our main characters are not necessarily in every single scene you know like it's such a big big ensemble that you uh your your storylines and your characters sort of pop in and out and so i feel like it's more on us as the actors to make sure that we're maintaining our our through lines in a way um and hold on did you say that the, you haven't there's some cast members that you haven't met yeah like we <laughs> Like there's even sets that sometimes I'm like, what the heck is this train car? <laughs> um, I think there was like maybe a rap party or some type of like uh, kind of cast or crew party that the production threw where like so many of us were like, wait, who's this person? Like, which is <laughs> uh, 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 So, and it's kind of fun because it, it feels almost like the real world. Like you're part of a city. <laughs> yeah well that is crazy because i mean you're just on a train but it's so big i mean i I feel like we've only seen like five percent of the train uh by the time the season's over (laughs) it just feels like there's so much you know there's just so much more to explore in uh in in future seasons it's 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 a really cool set piece yeah the sets also the production designs like one of my favorite parts of it because that's what I love about genre movies too, is it and and sci-fi in particular is that it takes you to this other place. And so I love just how they have done all of these different train cars. They have a different kind of character and feeling, every single one. The way you kind of move through the social classes, you really get to see how it's so dirty and grimy in the tail of the train. It looks like it smells bad. <laughs> if that mm-hmm. makes sense. <laughs> you can smell it through just looking at it um, and then <laughs> yeah. all the way up. and then you go to third class which is actually my favorite part of the train because it's more of the working class part so it's not as like decadent and luxurious as the front of the train and everything is made from found objects so in in the third class so it has this steampunk kind of vibe to it mm-hmm. it feels a little bit more like a throwback sci-fi like blade runner-ish just yeah. with all the colors and i i know in in my little in my character's house on third class, there's a curtain and it's all made of little empty soy sauce packets that are strung together. And there's lamps made out of water bottles. And mm-hmm. so I just love that kind of creativity that, that gets put into the set pieces. Yeah. Your character, Zara, you were, we were talking about, you know, your character, Mina in the rental and how like it's, it's a, you know, it's a character that's very human. It ma- makes human mistakes and, and everything. That's the same can be said for Zara in this. Um, it's um, it's a it's a character that is, I think, one of the hardest to play because uh, because you have to you have to be the one that everybody when you show up on screen, everybody hates you, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and it's hard to play those characters because you you're doing something that I would say. 90% maybe more of people would have done in your situation, in your character right. situation, uh, would have left this, the dregs of the tail to have just the slightest better life, something the slightest, uh, that makes it seem like you were back on earth again. Uh, <laughs> even though we're, we're on earth the whole time. I don't want mean to think that we're uh, in that much of a sci-fi realm, but space train. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it makes you feel like you have a normal life. Is, is that a, is that a difficult character to play, uh, because of that or because of other reasons? I think that's such a great question. And I've been asking myself that question lately a lot because I love playing broken char- like broken characters, characters that are complex, essentially. I'm not, not necessarily broken, but um, complicated, you know? And I, I like when characters exist somewhere in the moral gray area because, again, like I think that's what it is to be human. It's It's not so black and white. It's not always easy to make the right decisions, especially when the world has ended and you need to survive. And um, so on the one hand, I seek out characters like this who sometimes make mistakes, don't make the perfect decisions. And then on the other hand, it, it is difficult because you you know that your character is not necessarily going to be likable and that 
audience, like you, it's, it's easy to sort of point some blame at Zara. It's easy to, you know, she started in the back of the train and decided to, to leave the tail of the train when she got the opportunity to move up to third class. And um, as you pointed out, like not everybody, a lot of people hate that about her. They think it's a betrayal, but for her, and like you said, like a lot of people would have made that same decision because she was in the back eating cockroaches and rats for three years and didn't want to do it anymore. And, and it, it explores that kind of like that question, how challenging it is, but you do have to get, get comfortable with being unlikable. And um, I, I find it hard sometimes. And it's funny because at the same time, I'm always kind of advocating in a way for more unlikable female characters. Cause I feel like often women have to be so like polite and perfect, mm-hmm. and beautiful and, and men are usually the male characters are often the ones that get to kind of have a temper and, and get kind of get their hands dirty. And, and so um, it's, I think it's a good question. It's one I'm still sort of grappling with in, in both characters, but also in content, like how do we tell stories also that, that are challenging and that challenge the human condition without glorifying like some of those darker parts of being a human. Yeah. Um, well, it looks like we're up against your heart out, unfortunately, which, uh, I could talk to you for more hours if I had no to, kidding. But, uh, you're you're but, awesome. Thank you. Guys. Um, Indeed. But, uh, the rental, uh, comes out on July 24th, I believe if I'm looking at my notes correctly. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it says in theaters and on demand, but I'm sure the in theaters part is kind of, uh, up in the air or if it's going to drive-ins, I'm not sure. That would be a great drive-in by the way. This would be a perfect movie for a drive-in. It drive is in. actually going to drive-ins. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. IFC, I believe has some deal with a lot of the drive-ins throughout the country. So it'll be all over the country at drive-in movies. And, uh, we did a pop-up screening with the arc light actually at a drive-in in LA and it was so much fun. And the yeah. best part is it, it's, um, possible to do it, you know, responsibly <laughs> with social distancing and masks and, and, uh, still kind of feel that collective movie going experience. Yeah. This is a, this is a movie I need to see at a drive-in for sure. I need to find our closest <laughs> drive-in like right now. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, and Snowpiercer plays every Sunday on TNT it- um, but, uh, yeah, we'd like to thank Sheila Vand for, uh, yes, talking yes. to us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You're so a great much. interview. Thank you. Uh, uh that's going to do it for uh, this interview. It's Chris Atkinson, uh, Barrett share and Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit, and be sure to visit cinemasins.com.